Hey guys, Auk here with another episode of Words Imperfect. We've got another story to read for you today, but first I want to talk a little bit about crazy people. Not about crazy people in writing, because that could take forever and we'd be here for hours, but about crazy people that you write about, crazy people in fiction. I think that it's kind of important to remember whenever you're writing that each character has their own internal logic. Each character has some kind of chain of rationality that makes everything they do make sense to themselves. From the outside, they might be crazy. You might even be writing something in first person who is designed to look nuts. Uh, but, you know, to them, everything still makes some kind of sense. Generally, one of the defining characteristics of a crazy person is that they don't know they're crazy. If they knew that they were crazy, they'd have some kind of perspective on their actions and they wouldn't be considered so far out there. So it's particularly difficult in first person, for example, to write a crazy person because if it's done really well, they should almost be convincing the audience themselves that they're somehow right. There's enough clues in the story to give you an idea or an impression that what they're doing is in fact pretty nuts from an outside perspective. But to them, it makes so much sense that you should be kind of in danger of being confused with their logic being correct. I think that that is what makes it done really well. And I think that every first-person story involves somebody who's a little bit crazy. Everybody's a little bit biased, for example. Everything that you read in a first-person story passes through the filter of the character who is watching the events or doing whatever it is that they're doing. And I think that that's something that makes first-person incredibly difficult and interesting thing to write. Uh, but if you do take it up another notch beyond just being biased, for example, or whatever, or having their own agenda, and they go into something that is legitimately crazy, like stalkerish in this particular story that we've got today, then you need to really make sure that whatever they're doing is defensible to themselves, at least to some extent. Even if they have a compulsion, for example, and sometimes people can have compulsions and realize that they're bad things to have or that they make them look crazy or something like that, but it's still something that they're actively fighting against. They don't just report the fact that they've done it. Um, if they have something like a compulsion or an obsession, it's something that they have to fight against. It's some sort of entity almost in their mind, something like that, where they're actively fighting another part of themselves. Um, and you just, again, it can't really be something that you can just impartially say, yeah, and then I, I chopped the guy's head off, you know, it made sense, no problem, just chopping some heads off today. Unless they're so far gone, I guess, that chopping somebody's head off is a normal day for them. But again, in general, every character that does something terrible has a reason for why they're doing something terrible. And today we've got a story about a crazy person, a stalker, and I'm not entirely convinced whether or not they are. They know that they're nuts, or they don't know that they're nuts, but uh, it's just one of many problems I have with the story today. So, without further ado, let's launch into the story of a crazy stalker person thing. A reading of Untitled by Word underscore Mangle. Or, when you open up the document, it actually shows that the title is Awk, which is a great title for just about anything. Unless he's saying that I'm a crazy person, in which case, maybe not so much. Before I get into the reading, which I know I should be doing because a little musical bit played, so I should probably get on with that. But before I do that, I do kind of want to take a moment to say that I'm probably going to be slightly more harsh with this one than you might otherwise expect. And the reason for this is... Writing that frustrates me the most is writing that I feel like the author could have made better, and he or she knows that they could have made it better, but they just, for whatever reason, did not do it. And this gives me that impression, because the prose is actually something that's quite good. 
And I can tell it's quite good because if I go back to the submission thread, there's actually a couple people saying, oh, man, send me more of this writing and so on and so forth, which is a great way to paint a huge target on whatever piece it is that I haven't read yet. But it, it feels like the prose is good and the author is sort of coasting on that fact. And if you gave the story like more than one look, the actual story behind it, it just sort of collapses and falls apart. You don't notice it because the prose is decent. But then you look at it again, you're like, wait a minute. So this is going to seem a little bit, perhaps, harsher than, than normal. But let's go on and read Untitled slash Awk by Word Mangle. I don't sleep, or I guess I, I don't sleep like you. I can lie down and close my eyes, but after 20 minutes and a blur of colors and sounds that might have been some facsimile of a dream, I'm back. It's not so bad. I got used to it. Before I continue, I'd like to take a moment to say that I was discussing this with another writer person by the name of Kilo uh, on our TeamSpeak server, and he managed to pronounce the word facsimile as fascist smile. Has nothing to do with the story, just thought I'd throw it in there. Now, I understand what the author is trying to do here. Uh, they're trying to describe the fact that this person does not sleep or dream like a normal person would, and in fact, perhaps they don't do anything like a normal person would. However, there's a lot of uncertain, inexact language here, and I think that just one piece of it would have been enough. Uh, there's already that might have been, which is inexact, not entirely certain of what's to follow, followed by the word some, which is also inexact, not entirely certain of what's to follow, followed by the word facsimile, which is a bit of a strange choice because facsimile has a connotation of being something that's exact, something that is as close to the source as possible, basically. It's not an imitation. It's not insubstantial. It's something more than that. It's something that's as close to the original, as close to a copy as possible. I think it's where we get the word fax from, actually, from facsimile. So something that's incredibly close. So it's weird to have all this language sort of like, it's uncertain, it's not quite like a dream, and then it's like, it's exactly like a dream, but also not really. So it's a strange choice of word, I think. Now, this piece is really, really short. It's under 400 words, and that's kind of why I'm stopping a lot and analyzing each paragraph individually, because in something this short, things have to be very tight. So this first paragraph introduces us to the fact that the narrator cannot sleep like a normal person, um, which is a theme that is dropped halfway through it. So, I don't know, maybe 250 words into it, suddenly it's just gone. Um, so it's a strange way to open, I think. I think it would be interesting if everything here tied into sleep but it actually ties into something else a bit later, so let's continue on. I saw you the other day, because I wasn't sleeping, so again, this does tie into sleep, because I was looking, like I sometimes do. Okay, like I always do. You leave your lights on, and it's a dark street. Can you blame me? I'd tell you I don't look during your most private moments, if it were true. I'd tell you lots of true things, if they were. So this part is powerful because it's written like a confession, and it's interesting because there's a bit of repetition here about like, oh, I'd tell you this if it were true, I'd, I'd, I'd tell you a lot of things if it were true. The story is beginning to break down already. He tries to keep up this lie of what he does or what he doesn't do, or, and tries to excuse what he's doing, but also breaks it down at the same time. Again, this is interesting, but it doesn't continue on through the rest of the story, actually. Um... And this is also where the story starts to fall apart if you apply any kind of logic to it. This is probably the thing I'll give the most pass on, because it's the first assumption that we have to be okay with, basically. The assumption being, this person lives in a position where it is incredibly, incredibly easy to look into somebody else's house and see what they're doing quite often. Um, it seems to be, like, especially the rest of the story implies that this happens incredibly often, which means that this person basically lives in a house that is a stage. 
because this is an assumption that is a requirement for the rest of the story to even happen, I'm kind of okay with assuming that. I would have liked it if maybe the narrator, uh, in his list of excuses about why he does this, mentions how strange it is, how uncanny it is that he can see so much of what happens in this person's life despite living across from them in their house or whatever. I mean... I don't know about anybody else. I don't look into people's houses, but I am aware of how much other people can see, for example, into the house I'm living in. And even assuming perfect conditions, it's not enough to see every detail of a person's life. Ultimately, windows are designed to be seen out of, not into. But again, I'm alright with it if it was at least given a passing mention. The narrator could even use it as an excuse for saying why he looks, why he bothers to, to, you know, be a massive stalker and creep is because it's almost as if the house was designed for it. But this is kind of given a gloss over, and it's, again, something you don't really notice until you start honestly thinking about the details of the story, because, again, the prose just kind of keeps you flowing from one thing to the next. So, let's flow into paragraph four. I can't have a routine. Sometimes I just crash. The shaking starts on my fingertips and reverberates all through me. My eyes shut, but it isn't sleep. I just turn off, and then, 20 minutes later, I turn back on. This is cool. This is interesting. There's actually a lot about this story that's cool or interesting. I kind of wish it weren't real shaking, because it does sort of up the drama factor a bit, thinking about someone, well, shaking their way to sleep. Um, maybe if it were numbness, maybe if it were some other kind of sensation, it would be a little bit less over the top. But I do like the fact that we're examining this person's struggles with sleep and how it kind of exemplifies the fact that they are not necessarily the most normal person living the most normal life in the world. That's cool. The rest of this really isn't. So I watch you, because I can pretend your routine is my routine. I can pretend that I'm coming home and kicking off my shoes, shimmying out of my skirt, sprawling on the couch. I can pretend I'm sleeping. And this, by the way, is where we get the last hint of sleeping. I like the idea here. I like the idea of somebody patterning themselves after somebody else who's more normal to try to make up for the things in their life that aren't normal. The fact that they don't understand, well, how to human, so they watch somebody else do it. That part's cool. It's about to stop getting cool, though. The other day, I saw you. It was twine you doubled and tripled and quadrupled. I thought, she's not going to do it. You did it. Oh my god, sorry, I don't really know where that came from. I think it actually came from the story itself when I was reading it. Let me try it again. You did it. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that is fairly dramatic. Uh, so for those of you who haven't entirely caught up on what's happening here yet, she's committing suicide. Uh, that's basically what's happening now. So we've now hit a point where not only do I have to accept this person is well, crazy. Uh, not only do you have to accept the fact that they live directly across from a house that is essentially just a stage with glass in front of it, not only do I have to accept that they are able to see every aspect of this person's life when they come home and they sprout on the couch and they do this and that and the other thing, but now I also have to accept that this crazy person happens to be living across from the street from somebody who is about to commit suicide and, spoiler alert, lives through it. My suspension of disbelief is gone. It has fallen. The rope has snapped. It is tumbling down the mountain from the last story and is coming to rest near the cold, dying corpse of Janine with a flare gun across your chest. I can't. I cannot possibly accept all this as even remotely possible in the realm of fiction. It is just entirely too much. But let's continue, because it gets even weirder. So, you did- I'm not going to say it again, but she's- she's- suiciding, 
I couldn't even see what you were tying your twine rope to. I tried to run, but I crashed. My feet dropped me. Oh my god. A great line anywhere else, but the drama, the thickness of the drama is going so f- up, so far up, so fast. I can't even, I, I kind of find the idea of somebody's feet dropping themselves was funny. I knew I wouldn't make it to you, but I could see your window still. I could see you. <laughs> Hanging. The last thing I saw was someone else. What is this one window for the entire house? I mean, he's just describing a window right now. A window through which he can see everything. But fortunately, she decided to commit suicide right in front of his favorite window. Fantastic! Anyway, whatever. I could see you hanging. The last thing I saw was someone else. A guy. He wrapped his arms around your legs and lifted you up. He cut you down. You were drinking coffee with him when I came back, about two feet away from wherever you decided to commit suicide, apparently, because I can still see you. My hands were shaking so badly I couldn't even pour myself a cup of coffee in the darkness of my apartment. I couldn't even pretend to be with you. He must have been watching from his window. He must have been able to run. Now, before we do the little musical outro and I do the wrap-up here, I'm not entirely done, because now at least you get to see every impossible thing that has happened. Not only do we have the window stage, whatever, fine. Not only do we have the attempted suicide, it's an attempted suicide through which the character lived, and there just happened to be, I guess, another stalker somewhere who was watching and able to cut her down and rescue her in time, and then they were able to go and sit and have coffee in a position where this person can still watch it. That is ridiculous. Seriously. Now, in the interest of fairness, let's back up for a minute and see exactly how we got to this point. We have a situation where we have a character who is patterning himself off of another character. He's a weird stalker. He watches everything they do. He wants to sort of replace his lack of normality with somebody else's. So in order for there to be any kind of progression in the story, and for there to be something that fits the prompt, because after all, the person who's narrating cannot be the protagonist of the story per se, something dramatic does have to happen to the other person's life. This is where I was talking a little bit about death and extremely shocking twists uh, last time, and where I think this is a choice that isn't necessarily the best one to go with. Because whenever you do something that is incredibly shocking, it is difficult to not make it not go over the top and also to give it the sort of examination and drama and so on that it deserves. For that reason, I feel like an attempted suicide is sort of almost the, the lazy option, I hesitate to say. I think there's a lot of other things that could have been done, possibly instead, that indicate a major life change or a major life event for the person who is being watched without it having to go so far as an attempted suicide in which they are rescued at the last minute and this person happens to see the entire thing and so on and so forth. I don't often suggest alternatives to stories, uh, because I don't really like that. I feel like it's not my place, so I'm reacting to something I shouldn't be giving suggestions about how the story could be different. But this is not really me saying, hey, the story could have been different, take one of these suggestions, something like that. This is me just giving some examples of other things that could be visible from across the street uh, that are not as dramatic, for example, as what happened in the story. You could have the person who was being watched move. Uh, you could see moving trucks in front of their house. You could see uh, maybe friends coming to help them move that the stalk- stalker didn't even know existed. Uh, they could have a yard sale. They could become injured. They could start limping around. Something happened, and maybe they end up getting healed over time. But hey, since this is the protagonist, right, the person being stalked is the protagonist of another story, it's possible they might have gotten injured in some plot-specific way. 
Um, they could have had somebody move in with them. It could have been a friend, love interest, whatever. They could have simply disappeared and the house starts to, uh, you know, the, the yard starts to become overgrown and everything starts to feel a bit abandoned. Uh, they could spot the person watching them finally. They could get caught and start closing their windows and becoming a lot more, uh, you know, a lot more of a shut-in, for example. They could just become a shut-in even without that, that, person spotting the other person, for example. They could suddenly start buying very expensive things. They could have expensive cars. They could have expensive furniture and huge plasma TVs with an extra color yellow. I don't really understand why that's a thing. Um, because something has happened in their life, for example, that, again, the stalker wouldn't know anything about. All these things would fulfill the idea that this person is a protagonist in a larger plot or indicate in some way that there is a dramatic change in their life without going directly to the they try to commit suicide and were rescued because it's a lot to take in in a story that already has so many dramatic elements of somebody who is a crazy crazy stalker um who is a, a crazy person doing all these crazy things and then to add that onto it it's just it's just too much i think and there's so many other things that you could so many other questions you could ask about the situation where somebody's patterning their life after somebody else's. And there's so many things that could happen in someone's life that would be interesting to consider from an outsider's perspective, from an abnormal person's perspective. There's this unique setup here that you could have chosen to do so much with. And you went with the attempted suicide. And for that reason, I'm unimpressed. And with that, I'm finished reading the story. Let's get to the wrap-up bit now. All right, we're just about finished here. I figure we'll do a quick wrap-up since it's already been 17 minutes and we don't have that much time left. Uh, a couple things. One, did it fit the prompt? I would say it fit the prompt more than last week's where the protagonist of the story was actually already dead and didn't exactly do anything, or at least the supposed protagonist. But it still fit it slightly less than the first story we had about the cop because we got much more of a sense of the cop's life and whatever story he might be participating in and all that kind of stuff through someone else. This one was kind of in between. There is obviously more going on in this woman's life than just, you know, sitting around and being stalked all day. The fact that she's tried to commit suicide and someone has actually rescued her either because they figured she was going to do that or they happened to be watching her or whatever. There's a lot going on there. So it's true that the protagonist is more than likely the other person, basically. So that means it does fit the prompt a bit better than last week's. Um, final thoughts. I think that I like the first two thirds of the story. I like the part where we're talking about sleep, how he doesn't really sleep, how he's patterning himself after somebody else because he's a weirdo. As soon as the suicide comes in, the whole thing just kind of changes gears. We don't, we lose the thread of sleep, for example. We don't even come back into that. Uh, we lose the, the thread of how he wants to be like this person, because then after that he starts comparing himself to the random savior person that came about. I mean, it, it went sort of from, I want to be normal like you, to I want to save you, which, while similar, aren't exactly the same sentiment. But I do like the first two-thirds of it. I do like the idea behind it. I do like the prose. I mean, after all, that's why I said in the beginning, the prose is so good it almost feels like it's coasting on that instead of trying to tell a story. So... There's a lot that's good about this. Seriously, I'm not kidding. With that, we have to move on from crazy people to people who are crazy about each other, amazing Link, in a sort of slave-master BDSM relationship. So all that's to come with our final story of this particular prompt. But until then, thank you guys so much for listening. Keep an eye out on the Shut Up and Write subreddit for the next prompt that comes up, because that'll probably be coming relatively soon. 
and I'll see you guys next time.